Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 28 for Monday, not Monday, Sunday. And I forgot to write the date in. What's it? It's the 24th of February. This is what happens when you record on weekends, people. You get all <laughs> kinds of turned around. It's all been uh, my name. It is. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny. But you may know him better as Fenskate Man. Worst superhero ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you'll find, but uh, no worries because we have another superhero in our midst. Uh, we have none other than Logical Geek Boy with us, who you may know from his YouTube channel, Logical Geek Boy. The uh, key highlights of the the key highlights of his channel being Beyond Logic, the single player series, uh, a series of tutorials where he covers everything from creeper farms to crop farms and all kinds of technical stuff, including his new dissecting Minecraft series with methods from the Minecraft server. Without further ado, Logical Geek Boy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. But so uh, yeah, if uh, yeah, do you don't mind? Call, call, feel free just to call me Logic because it's only my mum that calls me by my full name. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. And, and Mr. Logic is my father. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> mm. So yeah. uh, let let's let's talk a little bit about your channel and and what you do because the tradition on the show is typically to start by uh, going into what's new in our Minecraft lives and obviously for you mm. that's got to be this new uh, dissecting Minecraft series which we gave a brief plug to on the last episode of the Spawn Chunks but it felt like it was about time that you uh, came on the show and and gave us a little bit more info about that because you've got two is it two or three episodes that are out so far. Uh, we've just we just released our second episode that came out uh, this week. Um, so the first two episodes are focused on uh, the basics of redstone. So things like the basics of redstone dust, repeaters, redstone torches, uh, etc. That kind of stuff. But what we're, what we're trying to do is it's uh, it's designed to be a progressive series starting from the ground up. So we want to start off with all the basics. And I guess a lot of people that watch it will know a lot of the stuff we're talking about already. But uh, unless we cover that groundwork, once we get to the more advanced stuff. Um, it, people can get easily lost so we're trying to make a good effort to cover as much as we can of the the foundational things before we move on to more complicated things like uh, we're going to cover um how spawning algorithms work um all, the, all of those kind of things how you know how iron farms work and what we want to do as well is we want to start taking sort of well-known contraptions or other contraptions from um from from the technical side of the game and sort of break them down dissect them and explain exactly how they work and the kind of premise for that is a lot of the time you see these tutorials where um, it's here's, a, here's a, a tutorial that does this particular thing and the video just shows you how to build it. You go and build it and that's that. But you don't really understand how it works. And so it's very difficult then to adapt it for what you need. For what you need. Yeah, so precisely. That's, that's the whole, with, you know, that's the whole with, with, we're trying to fill, I guess. It's something I've been struggling with with the Minecraft survival guide as well, because a lot of people ask me, why don't you build this tutorial or that tutorial? And I kind of go, well, without sort of muddling through it and understanding the mechanics of it myself, I'm just following it block for block. I'm not really learning anything and I can't explain it to you that way. So mm. it is good to actually get a deep dive on those mechanics and kind of find out what makes the game tick. Speaking of which, actually, there is a fantastic explanation of exactly what goes into a game tick in episode two, which I wasn't expecting at all because I watched episode two and it was just more redstone components. So I, so I thought you were, you're kind of dealing with redstone timings and where you can kind of create delays and stuff like that. But then Methods does this fantastic explanation that you're kind of like walking the player through of like what constitutes a game tick and how the game processes everything in these kind of you know millisecond increments and mm. if anybody hasn't seen that you kind of owe it to yourself in a way to understand like on this is like 
It's like holding an apple in your hand and then a scientist is telling you how all the atoms of the apple are put together. That's what I kind of equate that to because it's, it's a really fascinating look at the mechanics behind Minecraft and that is going on basically every second you play the game. Mm. It's really mm. cool stuff. Yeah, and I think that's that's the kind of things we, we want to kind of tap into and sort of go that 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 one level deeper to kind of give give everyone a bit of knowledge. I think there's hopefully there's uh, if people watch the episodes, there'll be people that are quite you know maybe you're you're a beginner at Redstone, you'll pick up some stuff definitely. But even people that are more advanced that have been doing Redstone for quite some time, hopefully there's going to be some nuggets of information in there that even like seasoned Redstoners can uh, can can pick up. Well, I remember watching episode one uh, when you had sent it our way, and I had quote-unquote known about pressure plates and weighted pressure plates but even after using them in some of my builds watching your video i picked up a couple of things were like ah i didn't know i could use it for that (laughs) and i I find that there's there's a lot of solutions that are either simpler or more compact that you don't realize because there's more than one way to execute a certain thing in redstone uh, or technically you know not just redstone but in, in the technical side of minecraft there's usually more than one way to execute something mm. so you end up defaulting to the one that you know right the the word that you know how to spell right as opposed to going to the thesaurus and coming find, trying to find a new word that you don't necessarily use all the time and i find that with with redstone and i default to the same sort of circuits where I'm just like, you know, there's probably a better way to do this, especially because I'm not, I can probably use an observer in this build or something. So seeing that pressure plate stuff was great. And I mean, like I've been playing the game for a couple of years. I'm by no means an expert, but I'm pretty technical in the game. And I really enjoyed being just pleasantly surprised as I'm watching the basic redstone video, kind of like eating my Wheaties, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I, I know I have to watch this. I know I'm going to pick up something. It's just a matter of when. And sure enough, it, I mean, you guys weren't five minutes into the video and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you got me. Sometimes yeah. you need to go back and do that revision as well. It's like going back yes. and relearning yeah, yeah. some of the basic stuff you learned at school. It'd be like me going back through algebra now and going, yeah, I kind of, I have a better grasp on how to do this because I'm, you know, a little bit further ahead in my life and I'm not just like bored in the classroom kind of going, how does that right. work again? But mm-hmm. like, yeah, suddenly it all just kind of snaps into place when you're told it by somebody who's, you know, just taking you through everything simply. And for people who are visual learners through video, as opposed to just reading information on the wiki, mm-hmm. demonstrations and actual like live you know, footage of somebody working on something in Redstone can be so much more you know, so so much more involving and so much easier to learn from than just reading text on a page about how XOR gates work or something like that. Mm. And I think just just that just before we move on, I'd like to give this take, take this opportunity to, to uh, give a shout out to my my partner in crime methods. Um, he's an amazing guy and the the brains behind the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so methods, if you're listening, well done, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's definitely worth checking out. We will link his channel in the show notes as well if we can grab a link to that after the yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. So, Johnny, uh, what have uh, what have you been up to? I've been doing an ink farm. Speaking of technical stuff, oh gosh, uh, <laughs> I've uh, yeah, I worked on an ink farm for the last couple of episodes of the Minecraft Survival Guide last week, and oh boy, that was a project. It was one of those things like the Guardian Farm where I didn't quite realize quite how much time I was putting into it, and by the time I decided to split the episode in two, I was like. 
I was halfway done with it and thought, oh gosh, I've got to make a collection mechanism for this and I've got to find a, the right AFK spot for it and everything kind of, it, it, all, it all just kind of spiraled a little bit. But that was, that was a great project. I finally got enough ink for, you know, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. I, I managed to get uh, a shulker box loader set up. So I have four shulker boxes just full of ink sacks. And considering that previously I was just killing squid in the river outside my farmhouse with a sword, it feels so good to have enough ink that I can just dye everything black if I want to, <laughs> which, you know, it was what I wanted to do when I was 12, but my parents said no. And I, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to make all the dark prismarine so I can build some more stuff with that and have access to those, those blocks that are a little bit more difficult to craft if you don't have a, a healthy supply of ink. So aside from that, I've been doing that. I've been working on some city builds and I've got a couple of interesting episodes lined up for Minecraft Survival Guide this week. We're doing a cocoa bean farm thing tomorrow and I just recorded an episode for Tuesday which is going to be all about elytra flight because I get a few people asking me how I can just take off from the ground because they have a bit of trouble with that and it may be because they're playing on multiplayer servers and the lag is too much for oh, them. But yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I kind of went through the basics of like, here is the stuff I know about flying with elytra. Also spent about five minutes of that smashing my face into a wall trying to get through a one by one space but i did it eventually and you'll get <laughs> you'll get to see that on tuesday how about you joel what have you been up to uh well it's funny that i'm glad that we have logic on because I've, I've had a mix of technical and uh and aesthetic building in the last week or so uh so i i've been wanting to fix the spider spawner farm that we have on the server for quite some time it is not nearly as fast as it used to be ever since the rollover to 1.13 and so I took the time to implement some new changes and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in the process of fixing that, uh, and I showcased this on my stream the other day, I also broke the uh, item transport system. Now we have an issue where the system is so long, it's a water stream that's so long that the items unload. And then when mm. they reload, they continue traveling, but they continue traveling in a clump, which is not ideal. So uh i had a dropper and a bubble elevator going up to a storage system and i kept on getting an internal error where actually during the the play session where i was fixing the spider farm i got a java language error that said stack overflow and the server crashed i was like oh this is not good i can't have this happen when i have uh, other people on the server trying to play as well so i went in to figure out the best way to uh, sort out these items and the problem is, of course, uh, after some Google research, that happens when a, a dropper on a dropper clock is full, like nine stacks of stuff just jamming it, and the game can't keep up. So what I thought I would try is splitting the items. So I Googled item splitters, and I was like, I know I've looked this up before, and I've just never bothered with actually making one. Well, problem, <laughs> they all use droppers. <laughs> To, to split the items <laughs> so just your problems multiplying like a hydra yeah. all of a sudden bottleneck yeah. bottleneck meet bottleneck uh, yeah. and it's uh, redundancy is is a, is a problem so i was like okay so how do i do this said, well i like water streams they're more fun anyway and i've already used a not an, a water splitter but a, an item um relo uh, what's the word i'm looking for like a, a relocation or a redirection. So I've got items that go to a villager breeder and the carrots either go to the villagers when I want to breed or they go to the storage system when I don't want to breed. So it's a pretty simple piston switch that's, that happens. It's like a track switch on a, on a minecart, but with water. So what I did was I came up with a way, especially because these new bubble, vader, bubble elevators allow us to do such cool things with, with items. Uh, I had to raise the items up a couple of blocks with a bubble, a small bubble column. I put a tripwire hook at the top. So when the items shoot out the top, they trip the tripwire hook. That then starts an etho hopper clock, 
which has got eight items in it. And that pushes a piston back and forth and back and forth. And what, what those pistons are doing is redirecting the water flow left and then right and then left mm. and then right. And I tested it three or four times. And each time, it's not an exact 50-50 split, but it is really close. It's like 45-55. So if I've got, if I'm splitting 64 items, I'll get 30 and 32, or I'll get 28 and 34, or whatever. Uh, so I can, using water, I can actually split the items up, send them to different hoppers and different droppers. And then while the new hoppers are getting items, the old hoppers have a chance to uh, empty and 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 have more room so it solved the problem so far and i was really really proud of it because i didn't i had to look up how to do the ho the hopper clock but i i came up with a design myself and i don't often do that so the other day when i was streaming i i ran through it on the video and i was really really quite happy with with how it uh, how it turned out um so that was my tactical thing the other side of, of my of my week has been working on the inn on a bridge which is now completely finished i know i've been talking about this uh for a couple months here on on the uh on the show and uh, i had a real problem with the undercarriage of the bridge and i wanted to ask you uh johnny like when you're doing bridges like do you often find that you get stuck with the underside of them like how to design them, how to make them look good, or do you just go with like something more industrial? To be honest, I haven't on really built that many. Uh, a lot of the stuff I build tends to be just kind of like on islands and stuff, and I don't tend to bridge out much. I've been doing that in the Minecraft Survival Guard world, connecting bits and pieces here and there. But yeah, I tend to just I I tend to do a a bridge to completion when I build it, rather than kind of work on it in sections here and there. Because oftentimes I can dedicate like three or four hours to the building of a bridge without having to take breaks and stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, for most of the time, I just, yeah, I just get it done. I don't think I put a huge amount of detail into the under section of the bridge that I built towards my industrial area. I think I just did the arches on the sides and then whatever happened in the middle happened. I figured I wasn't going to be underneath it too much anyway. But if you're looking mm -hmm. to make your world a little bit more complete, then I can imagine a little bit of, a little bit of extra grind work has to go into getting all of that stuff built. And and I can see the underside of this bridge. You're not underneath it per se, but you can see the underside of it as you approach it. It's not mm -hmm. like it's just something that you walk over. You actually approach it from a different angle. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so what I ended up doing was I ended up putting a, a basement room in the middle of the central pillar. The, the problem is that I built this giant inn in the middle of this bridge and the supports underneath it were just single block columns. There were several of them, but it still did not look substantial enough to, to hold up the inn. Sure. Uh, so I took a page after playing a couple months now on Realm of Vastin, I took a Page from the builds that I see there and sometimes just really squat fat pillars are what you need like it just it's it you think in your head like mm, this is boring I don't want to do this kind of stuff in Minecraft but if you if you've got an, a, a decorative build on top of something sometimes just having a really sturdy chunk underneath it uh, really goes a long way so I, I added a little bit of depth but really they're just smooth stone boxes that hold up the bridge and and with a little bit of, of um, like an arc underneath them just to kind of tie them together. But other than that, it was really not super complicated. I did it on stream yesterday with the help of some folks in the chat doing some live design. And it, I, I'm really happy I waited because otherwise I would have ended up with something, you know, uh, yesterday Joel would have built. Whereas today Joel, having played on Vastin for a couple months, has picked up some new tricks. So, <laughs> We're um, now moving forward to the Joel of tomorrow. The Joel of tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with my sci-fi texture pack that's going to take three years to complete. <laughs> speaking of speaking of sci-fi, Logic, aren't you building the Death Star in your main series right now? Yeah, yeah, I am. So, well, the, the Death Star, like the, the outer shell is all complete. Um, I think it took something like 82,000 blocks. 
to oh, do. And this is all in the end in survival. Yeah, like um, the, the amount of stuff you build in the end is like commendable because goodness yeah. me, I can't stand to spend too long there without like just getting that that awe of the void takes over, and I'm like, I just I, I can't <laughs> I can't work with it. It's just nothingness below me. It's so strange. Yeah, I mean, one of the things in the series I try and do is just try and do things differently. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I've, I've watched enough Minecraft to, to have seen the same thing many times, you know. Um, so I want to just try and do some different things. So, yeah, so my main base is in the end inside a huge Death Star and it's surrounded by some other ships. Like I've got a big uh, Enterprise and oh, nice. I've got X-Wings and TIE Fighters. And he's he's mixing cube. universes. Yeah. The nerds won't like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, really interesting and... Yeah, it's the, so what I've been doing this this week is uh, doing some work inside Death Star. So inside we've got a whole bunch of different farms and rooms inside. So I did some more work in that. So this uh, so last week we did a furnace array inside the Death Star, and then this week it was a I had a bit less time, so we just focused on some decorative stuff. Um, because what I tend to do is because I'm more technical focused, I tend to focus all my time on making farms, making contraptions, and then once they have their functional work, then I kind of move on to the next thing. But I really want to try and spend more time making them look good, you know, making these rooms and stuff. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah, just, just just that side of things is something I really need to uh, spend some more time on. I think it's a bit of a challenge. We've actually had that discussion a couple of times on the show, and I think there's a, an email coming up about it—the futuristic style of things when it comes to building that in Minecraft, where the texture pack lends itself so much to a medieval feel. It's a bit of a challenge working with a theme like Star Wars anyway, because the production design of stuff like Star Wars or Star Trek is so iconic. So it must be really difficult coming up with stuff that really mirrors that kind of production and also working around all of the technical builds that you're doing inside of there. So that's that's got to be an interesting yeah. project and one that's very much worth keeping track of for the folks at home. Yeah, yeah. The the, the Enterprise I built was was came out really well. I'm actually surprised how well that came out. But that's because it's, it's majority white. And so you get lots of options with white with obviously slabs and stairs from quartz. But when you're doing mm. things like a darker build, so, yeah, you don't get because I, I, I use a lot of concrete and you don't obviously have the stairs and slabs for concrete which i wish we did have uh, mo yang if you're listening <laughs> you and you and every other guest we've had on this show so far exactly I think. exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. well yeah, that brings us so into uh into the news where we can uh I, we're going to spend a, a little bit of time but it's not going to be terribly terribly long because we want to make sure we focus on the uh, the roundtable discussion coming a little bit later but there was quite a bit of stuff happening uh, despite a a lighter snapshot from java there's actually some some additional stuff uh in bedrock that I, I think johnny is a little bit more familiar with but the minecraft snapshot 19w08a was released last week uh, with a, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but we're slowly entering the bug fixing and polishing phase of 1.14 village and pillage update. And so our speculation that the village and pillage might be coming uh, sooner than later might be coming true. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but the short version is that uh, one iron golem now spawns in a village upon generation. That's upon world generation, if I have that correct. Improvements to invisibility. Uh, to allow the uh, it to correctly work in many cases where it did not before. They added leather horse armor. This was my favorite edition. Uh, and they you can dye it in lots, yes, lots of colors, which I thought was an interesting little hint in the, in the notes on the, on the website. Textures for potion effects are now split into individual files. Uh, the command parser now accepts uh, one single quote as a string quotes instead of a double quoted quote, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Stop, uh, sorry, stopped foxes, dolphins, and pandas from having armor equipped to them via dispenser. I didn't even know that was a thing. I was looking forward to... to armored pandas personally, but sure, <laughs> go for it. If it doesn't show up on the panda, then I'm not interested. I mean, that would be hilarious to have like a samurai gold-plated 
panda walking around like that I, would be I wicked, want it. But it i need it <laughs> yeah but if it can't be seen where's the fun uh changed uh the bounding box and the eye height of foxes which prevented them from drowning when swimming or it will prevent them from drowning when swimming previously uh, and foxes that trusted you in previous snapshot will unfortunately no longer be trusting i guess that means that just the foxes that you had already um already Gained the trust of yeah yeah gain yeah. the trust of not not that foxes will no longer trust you but that but you have to re regain their trust again in the new snapshot which is fine because of course that when they're updating you know AI behind the scenes you kind of expect some things like that to have to be reset yeah I imagine um, anybody the, who's been playing in these snapshots and has like moved their world onto it at this point expects a little yeah. bit of glitchy behavior before the full release happens so yeah for sure but I, again like some very basic stuff the the horse armor die we can talk about in a little bit but uh, Johnny what what happened with uh, the bedrock beta. So Minecraft Bedrock has moved on to its 1.11 beta already, which is pretty fast considering they only we only reported on the 1.10 beta somewhat recently. But there have been some forward movement with uh, villages, so I kind of wanted to bring this up. I haven't actually had hands-on experience with any of this. Again, not really a Bedrock player, but I thought this was really worth keeping track of because for us at least, it's a look at what could potentially be coming to the Java edition very soon. So villages in Bedrock now have an economy based on supply and demand. This is kind of the the first like look at the trading overhaul that they were hinting at during Minecon all those many moons ago. Uh, so the supply of trades is restored when a villager is given the opportunity to work at their workstation. So it's not necessarily like they go to sleep and their trades are refreshed now. Now they actually have to go to work to be able to sell you stuff again. When the villagers' trades are restored to full, it takes whatever supply was used up, the number of trades, and converts that into a price increase called demand. The demand goes up by the number of supply used and goes down by the number of the supply not used. So if you leave stuff untraded, then the villager counts that negatively towards the demand for that item and reduces the price. When villagers make trades, they gain experience, and when they gain enough experience, they level up. And then leveling up is what unlocks new trades now. So as well as you gain experience from trades, they gain experience from trades. And it's not just like a you trade an item once, that unlocks the next kind of tier of trades. They actually have to gain experiences themselves, which is kind of interesting and maybe kind of lends a little bit more credence to the fact that they've now got these jewels on them that kind of indicate what level trades they have available. Uh, those are locked until the villager is at the appropriate level. So, you know, to get the, say, the name tag trade that you would get from a librarian right now, you might have to do more than just three or four trades to unlock the entire thing. You have to level them up through trading with them a whole bunch, which is going to encourage people to trade a lot more, although it might be frustrating for people who want to get to the good trades quickly. Aside mm. from that, uh, we have a little bit of changes to Ravagers, which you'll remember is the new name for the pillager beasts that appear during raids and, you know, impacts with pillagers. They now destroy crops and leaves when they charge, in much the same way that the Wither is capable of destroying blocks. The Ravagers now do the same. It's only for, you know, basic village kind of crops and things like that, rather than it being actual building blocks. So you don't have to worry about one of these things rampaging through your base and leaving destruction in its wake. It's not going to be like a creeper has just suddenly exploded all the way through your base, but you might have it trampling stuff around your wheat field occasionally. And uh, one small thing, farmers now choose their profession based on composter blocks rather than farmland. We reported previously that farmers were specifically attracted to farmland. Now the composter has taken that place in much the same way that librarians are attracted to lecterns, priests are attracted to brewing stands, that kind of thing. 
that pretty much sums it up. Uh, there are a few other points in that changelog. Links to that will be in the show notes if people want to peruse that further. And I'm sure the Bedrock beta players are very excited to get their hands on this. I'm looking forward to all of this coming to Java so I can see A, what I can do with it, and B, how the technical community is going to break it all <laughs> so that we can yeah. have our villager trading halls back. But Or it's or how it's going to break villager trading halls because the way that it's worded... I mean, I, obviously, it's all very much in development. And we don't want to you know raise any pitchforks, but... Uh, even in, even the small villager trading center that I have would be I would be pretty bummed if that just no longer worked. And, yeah, and it, we had to you know re redesign or 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 if, or if they don't work at all anymore. Like if you no longer can just single out villagers and trade with them to get what you want. Like if you have to have them in a certain community or you know I'm wondering if this is something that Moying is trying to discourage the quote unquote kidnapping of villagers and, yeah, and, it, and re relocating them to uh well we have a funny name for it in my server we call it the hotel of eternity yes <laughs> yeah and i i do feel like it's potentially yeah encouraging players to treat villagers more like they would treat human beings because mm -hmm. it, it's funny i've i've had so many comments on my episodes about villagers where people have said you can't carry you can't like lead villagers around using leads and i'm like well they're not animals strictly speaking and like the idea that you would be able to treat them like animals is a little bit weird if you think about it too hard and i feel like that's maybe what mo yang is now thinking is that like yeah it, mm. it's it's they're, they're implementing a few more restrictions on what you can do with villagers now how this could potentially be incorporated with trading halls and stuff it may just be as simple as making sure the villager has access to a bed and their workstation so that they can go to bed and then go to work I imagine people will have designs for that kind of stuff to build it in a limited enough area that you don't have to have like a set up village with houses and that kind of thing. Like the definition mm. of what a house is, is still kind of, you know, limited to very specific mechanics to allow for a bit more variety. So, mm -hmm. you know, the way it calculates what a house is right now, it just has to be a door with more blocks on one side above the door than there are on the other side above the door. And, and that's it, you know, so that you can build whatever kind of extravagant houses for your villagers and they still sort of count. So I imagine there will be, it, it'll be broken down to a certain amount of key points that you have to hit. And then after that, the design is probably going to be more or less up to you. So don't panic yeah. too much yet about your trading halls, because I imagine <laughs> yeah. there will be a couple of changes that we can make and it will still function roughly speaking but maybe to get more out of the villager trading experience and to make it more immersive for newer players especially they've started implementing this kind of this economy system and the the additional restrictions on where villagers need to be to be happiest with their whole trading thing yeah logic as a, as a technical player like are there any things about the uh, the snapshot news that have you kind of like tweaking your eyebrows um yeah so the, the that all the villager stuff that you just mentioned in there sounds interesting i think from a personally i would say that that kind of stuff i don't mind things being changed as long as things aren't removed so as long as there yeah. are ways to still do the things we can do excellent um, point yeah you know it, in some ways I, I kind of relish the way uh, if they make changes because that means there's a whole bunch of new contraptions we can make and we can get our teeth into um so there's, there's that side of things um i was initially a little bit concerned about the iron golem changes but yeah i think that's that's all, all been documented yeah. as being uh, just just a bug there was so there right. was a there was a panic for a while there that i think it was doc m and a few other people on twitter noticed that mm. they'd done some testing and iron golems were spawning in iron farms much less and they thought mm. it was related to the fact that every village now spawns with a golem uh that's a good thing by the way it, on its own because a lot of the time you'll get to a village especially those smaller villages that have no chance of spawning with an iron golem with their current like population 
and you'll find them just being obliterated by zombies as soon as you load the chunk in. So it's kind of nice to have them spawn with some protection on world generation. But yeah, they, they thought that that was related and that that was actually nerfing the Iron Golem spawn rates um, like intentionally. And then they followed up later on. Doc posted a thing on Twitter basically saying, I've spoken to the devs. It's unintentional. They don't know what's causing it, but it's not meant to be that way. So hopefully iron farms will stay intact. We will yeah. see. But evidently there's going to have to be some changes to iron farms anyway because for them to continue to count their surroundings as a village, there might need to be additional like requirements there in terms of bedding and workstations and stuff. Stuff like that. Although potentially less villagers because currently even to get... like I think it's a sing I think I, I have a single village iron farm on the Citadel and I think we had to have like 12 or 14 villagers yeah. near it with like uh, 40 doors or something. So like it, it, it required quite a few um, villagers to get it going. Uh, whereas if you can get a, maybe a lower rate farm, but if it's only takes, you know, two or three villagers to get one going, but I'm okay with that. Cause I mean, like <laughs> these are things that run in the background. Like I don't sit there and wait for iron. Like it just runs while it runs. And then you, when you need iron, you go get it. And it's just, there's plenty cause it's in the spawn chunks. I'm interested in seeing how Minecraft stores the economy data of having this supply and demand. Because right now, when you unload a chunk with a village uh, with a village in it, it kind of ceases to exist, and it gets sort of rebuilt from the ground up next time you return, and the chunk loads, and Minecraft goes, oh yeah, this number of doors, this amount of villages, there's a village here. And then like it, it kind of recreates that. This is why iron farms have to be self-resetting, right? Because the villages kind of unload... And then if you went back there, it would treat the entire thing as one giant village. But then folks like Tango and the other technical players have figured out a way of making these villages sort of slowly generate one by one so that they stack and you can have a lot of villages in a small area. But does that mean the economy and the supply and demand is going to reset when you move away? Or is that going to start storing the economy data separately from the village data? Is it going to be somehow just suspended in the ether until you return. That's the stuff I'm interested in. That's the stuff I really don't know at this stage. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that stuff is going to be stored with, with the individual villagers themselves that they have. Is, is it a personal economy for each individual villager or is it a, is it something that's kind of thing? Is yeah, it a for the village? Thing? Yeah, that's it's it's mm. interesting that and and it can create some interesting dynamics if they're going to potentially see you buying all of these mending books and go, okay, well we're going to jack up the price of mending books because clearly these are selling like hotcakes. Mm. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun competition to see who on the village in in the on a server can a get a really cheap mending villager and b make sure their mending villager keeps the price down somehow. Mm. Like being able to manipulate the supply and demand mechanics is another kind of a bit of a minefield when it comes to this stuff i'm looking forward to it it's going to be interesting yeah i i you know we uh we've mentioned this a couple times on the show just like my previous gaming experience with world of warcraft but one of the cool things i remember about the game was the in-game economy and the auction house and like you could grind and grind and try to find that that really cool uh, you know, weapon. But if you had enough cash, you could just go buy one, um, which is fine. You wouldn't. Some things people wouldn't want to part with, and some things were soul bound, and you couldn't couldn't get the really cool stuff. But if you just wanted a cooler looking sword than the one that you had in your hand, and you um, you couldn't find one in the world, you could just go pick one up, so that you could really RP and and complete you know your character's aesthetic. And uh, I'm I'm curious. I like that kind of stuff. So having an in game economy in Minecraft is very intriguing to me. They still haven't quite. Uh, they say they're into the 
polishing and bug fixing or they're slowly transitioning i feel like a lot of people skipped the uh, the part where they said we're slowly getting into the polishing and bug fixing phase mm. they still haven't got functionality for fletching tables smithing tables and bells as far as yeah. the new crafting blocks and new kind of village blocks are concerned so it'll be interesting to see if something like that starts to pop up and if they have any clue about what they're going to do with these because we certainly don't but no. um yeah, I think that's that's probably our cue to move on because we need to get to chunk mail and then our roundtable discussion topics for this week. So I'd like to read an email we've got here from Pixel Brew, who Joel knows from the Baston server and folks at home might be familiar with, who says, Hey Joel and fellow Picks, uh, the topic of futuristic blocks and items being brought into Minecraft was brought up in your discussion last week and I thought I'd weigh in on it. While I'm not at all a modern or sci-fi builder to begin with, I do think that there are some interesting ways Mojang could bring these types of blocks to the game. One of which would be to simply add an additional dimension to the game, like the end or the nether, that takes a player to the Minecraft of the future. The exact same seed as the original world, but altered to be a bit more futuristic. New structures could appear in this futuristic dimension that replace the originals, larger and modernized villages with materials like metal and concrete and brick to replace the original medieval ones. They could also maybe have factory buildings that produce the various niche items like glass bottles, item frames, flower pots, anything mass produced like that. Also, what if there were discoverable enchantments that could be learned to enhance what you have, like a bow enchant that makes it slightly draw, draw slightly faster but for slightly less damage, or a sword enchantment that cripples foes at the cost of a slower cooldown, or maybe a pickaxe enchant that smelts ores automatically but is incompatible with the existing fortune and silk touch. Small enhancements to your current tools could give them kind of futuristic OP qualities. These could even be considered runes that cost a significant amount of XP to acquire and cannot be removed in the grindstone, maybe keeping it with the fantasy theme. And there was a little bit of extra stuff in the email, but we cut that for time. Thank you so much, Pixelbrew, for your email. I want to preface this by saying one does not simply add a new dimension to the game, insert <laughs> Boromir meme here, because... <laughs> For the longest time, like, dimensional mods have been out there. They have things like the Twilight Forest, the Aether, the Betweenlands. Those all kind of take the game in a fantasy direction, but it's neat to see a kind of sci-fi dimension mod. However, having multiple dimensions in the game is a cause of lag across multiplayer servers, especially. Having somebody in the overworld, the nether, and the end, and loading all three dimensions at once is kind of notoriously a lag creator, not to mention the fact that they'll be doing different stuff and loading chunks in different areas. So it, it could potentially cause problems, and it may be the reason why they haven't considered adding more dimensions in the past. The kind of overworld, hell, and end kind of mm. setup seems to be working for them so far, these core three dimensions. And I don't know. I imagine that the idea of a new dimension is one of those things that comes up occasionally at Mojang, and then they throw it out because it just seems like a almost like an easy way of doing things. But I like the idea of there being a futuristic dimension. Because like I said, Twilight Forest, the Aether, the Betweenlands... They've all been fantasy-style things. There aren't really any sci-fi dimension mods out there. So challenge to you mod makers. Get one of those ready now that Forge is coming out for 1.13. Logic, what do you think about uh, a new dimension in the game? Um, yeah, I, th I thought it was quite interesting, actually. Um, if we if we imagine that, uh, that server performance isn't something we need to worry about, but uh, maybe uh, like, like a parallel universe. So maybe so that, that kind of got me thinking, kind of reminds me of one of the original Zelda games where... You'd, you'd be in one one dimension and maybe in the overworld you'd find something um, that wouldn't help you in the overworld but it would give you clues about something in the parallel dimension. So you could take your coordinates of that particular spot, then you go over to your parallel universe and there's something significant in that spot. Uh, maybe like a you know, either a, a structure or some loot or a boss, that kind of thing. So then, you, then that kind of encourages you to 
uh, explore the world looking for these little signs that then actually mean something in in a, in a parallel universe. So that that could be interesting, I think. That sounds great, actually. That it t- kind of takes the treasure maps from the sunken ships that we have right now, and then makes that gives that kind of extra dimensional element to them. It's like well, find this, but in the dark world. Mm. I, li- I like I yeah. like that a lot, actually. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I, I I'm thinking of like almost time travel. Like you know, like you you get this, you come across this giant crater in the world, like like some giant explosion has happened and everything is charred. But then when you find those coordinates in this alternate dimension, there's a boss battle that has to happen, and when you beat the boss it explodes and creates the crater that you were looking at in the in the first place you know something like that would be would be really really cool uh i i think a new dimension is probably lag conversation aside the easiest way to add new blocks and new tech to the game uh and what i was thinking was that what if it's not anything completely you know like imaginative like the end or the nether what if it's just going to the moon like what if you could just <laughs> you know create a portal or you create a rocket or something and that allows you to get to the moon in minecraft where you could have a moon base and have sci-fi and you know different you know blocks and different textures and things like that i i think part of it is that you know i find the end pretty dull and it does sort of remind me of like moon rock a little bit mm-hmm. so you know i was what, thinking that that's kind of right where my brain went was was to the moon you describing that i've just realized there is a sci-fi dimensions mod it's called galacticraft and it lets you do exactly that it lets you go to the moon you build oh, the, really? the equipment for a rocket and stuff and then you go to the moon there's like a giant skeleton there on the moon that you fight and you you, you can kind of build uh an area that processes plants to create oxygen to kind of create an oxygenated bubble to make an atmosphere and yeah like oh, I've, I've seen a few people play galacticraft before it just completely escaped me but that's again that's in a very real world kind of setting in a way it's like it's space yeah. travel it's something that humanity can achieve I yeah. mean, later on in galacticraft you go to mars which we haven't done yet but you know right. give us time and that that may be the futuristic element of it but i like the idea of there being a a fantasy future and pixel brews uh suggestion of like the villages in the real world kind of having progressed technologically regardless of your influence and being like giant mega structures with factories and that kind of stuff seems like a uh, seems like a fun one yeah. 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 Well, I think we can probably move on into the, the full on roundtable discussion and uh, true to form. I'd like to let our uh, our guest go first. So Logic, what topic would you like to throw around the table this week? OK, well, this may be slightly controversial, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I would kind of like to address the kind of uh, what could be said is the, the kind of decline in interesting features for, for technical players. Um, so I've, I have actually got a whole bunch of notes, so <laughs> this might take a long time, but, uh, the general kind of gist of it is this, I kind of got thinking about this because, uh, uh, in a recent video from Il Mango, his bug of the week 31, uh, he spoke about this kind of topic and also uh, a few weeks back, Cubfan also started talking about emergent gameplay and yeah, it kind of feels like there's some things changing in the game that affect technical players. And I think it's worth talking about that, about why it's important and what those things are and possibly some ways we can we can address it for the uh for the folks not familiar with the il mango video in particular i'm sure you probably have heard il mango's name he is one of the prominent players from the cycraft server and i believe at the end of this video he said that the cycraft server hasn't updated past minecraft 1.12 am i right in that and they don't plan to yeah. because of the changes that have happened in 1.13 and changes that are further planned to happen in 1.14 that they feel are limiting to technical players on the scale that they like technical play. 
Yeah, that's right. So I think, uh, so the Sarkov server, there's some other technical servers as well. I think they're all still on uh, 1.12 for, for the same reason, basically. Um, which we'll get into, uh, I'm sure. So it'll be good. It'll be good if we, if you know, if Mo Yang or you know, people, the people, the decision makers can kind of think about that aspect because we really don't want to have, I guess, people, especially people like that, yeah, stuck on old versions because they feel they can't upgrade because they feel like the game is not progressing in a in a in a positive way. I think for them. So this is this is the same kind of thing you find from the PvP community who won't update mm. past 1.8 because they don't like 1.9 combat. And it's it's an, an interesting to see two different sides of that coin because a lot of people, I guess, look down on that PvP community for seeming a little bit immature, for like relying on spam clicking to win fights and that kind of stuff. But they, whenever I've seen arguments in favor of that approach, insist that it's very sophisticated behind the scenes and there is actual skill involved. And it's kind of the same thing with the technical players in a sense. Nobody's necessarily looking down on the technical community per se but it's it's interesting to see them sticking to their guns on this one in much the same way that the combat players did for with mm. 1.8 so so let's go into a little bit about uh how you feel this is being being put out there like uh why why do you feel like the technical community is is feeling this way about moyang's recent developments Mm. Yeah, so so before I get into it, what I do want to say is that obviously I'm not speaking for anyone in particular. Obviously, I've mentioned a few names there. This is these are my own my own uh, my own thoughts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I guess that, like, the first thing is like the kind of things that uh, that concern technical communities. I guess are things like performance of the game, um, things like removing interesting features, and then potentially uh, some missed opportunities for recent updates. So things like uh, performance, like that's really important because if you're a technical player, especially these highly technical players, they want to push the game to the very limits. They want to, you know, they want to create the biggest and best things possible. And some of the things they've created are absolutely mind blowing. And if the game doesn't run very fast or doesn't perform very well, then it's really hard to make those things work. So there's kind of that aspect to it. So obviously 1.13, I think most people would agree was a backward step in terms of performance, even if you've got Optifine installed. Um, it's a bit of a problem. I think 1.14 has made some improvements, but still, still has a little way to go uh, on that front. Uh, what, are you, what do you guys think? Have you have you seen a difference in performance with the latest versions? Lately, I haven't noticed the issues as much. But back when 1.13 came out, I remember there being a lot of ocean around, a lot of water updates mm. were very laggy. Like the the amount of kelp in the world made things very laggy. I know sheep pathfinding was causing a lot of problems and. I feel like, yeah, like they, they, the problem is, of course, they're trying to add a bunch of new things on top of the existing structure and not necessarily being able to pare back the game in ways that can prevent the things that caused that lag in the first place. But there have been significant changes, I think, to the way water is even processed. Like it isn't even counted as a block in the same sense that it was before. And yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of different changes. How about you, Joel? What do you think about the performance of this most recent update? So I definitely noticed a, a change from 12 to 13, but I noticed a change back for the positive from 13 to 13, one and two, point one, point two. Uh, for me uh, on our server, it was actually leaves. It was leaf blocks, bush blocks. Um, they were getting updates because of how, you know, they would update depending on how far they were from a log block. And so you'd go to chop down a tree in your tree farm and like you dropped like four frames a second. You're like, whoa, what is going on? And, uh, and it turns out that that was, that was the issue. And when they fixed that, uh, it, you know, we noticed a better uh, performance. Uh, I find 
for the most part that uh, I think we're back. I, th- I feel like 113 is f- 113.2 is faster than I was experiencing with 1.12 because of the way that some items are handled. Uh, but I don't do massive technical stuff. I do some mm-hmm. technical stuff. I do a lot of water item transport, but I would argue that that was probably optimized with 1.13 because of how focused it was on water and those changes, right? Whereas if I had a lot of redstone and hoppers and pistons and, you know, flying machines and things like that, I didn't have those, you know, so I, I don't see, I don't see the performance issues on that. And I know from watching enough YouTube Minecraft stuff that servers especially seem to be suffering from, from the, from a technical side when you've got, you design something in your creative world on your, on your PC, and then you go to implement it on your server and you've got to change the timings because the server lag is such that, you know, the performance of the game is affecting your design and that you have to then, you know, um, adapt it to work in a, in a, in a laggy environment. Whereas, you know, if you know, uh, the game mechanics in depth, you can just design it with a certain number of ticks in mind, mm-hmm. but then you have to then change that when you realize that, Oh, wait a minute, I'm getting more ticks on the server because things are happening, happening slower. Uh, I'm not so technical that, that I think the, the performance thing has been an issue. Um, I, I feel like one of the things that Mojang has to be careful about would be removing features. Mm. Yeah. So I've got a list of a few things that I feel are kind of important on that front. So in 1.13, they re- they removed a bunch of things and sort of continuing that with 1.14. So these are things like uh, being able to break bedrock with a dragon egg. Um, they've changed how chunk loading works. Um, in 1.14, the most recent updates is they've changed uh, how, frequent, how frequently dro- uh, items drop if they're uh, blown up by TNT. Um, they've tried to fix TNT duping. And a bunch of other things like that. I mean, I, I could go on with uh, other things, but I guess like it's it's probably important to understand why those things are important, right? Um, like for example, like the the uh, breaking of bedrock. Yeah, I felt that was quite a balanced mechanic in terms of. I know it wasn't designed in the game, but I felt like quite a, quite a balanced thing because if you wanted to break bedrock, that feels like that should be a hard thing to do. Um, but obviously, players want to do that. Players want to break bedrock for you know, all sorts of reasons. So I think it's, it's personally, I think it should be. Um, it should be a part of the game. You should be able to do it in a way. And it felt like, you know, you have to kill the dragon. There's only one dragon egg. And then you have to do, it's not just as simple as, you know, just breaking it with a pickaxe once or making a tool with the egg. You have to do some technical things. You have to make a make a contraption um, and do some other bits and pieces. I won't go into the detail of it now, but, you know, it, was, it felt balanced um, like that. Um, and now, of course, removing that now makes that a bit harder. You can still do some things in 1.13, but it's certainly a lot harder to do that. Um, but it kind of feels like um, what Mojang should be doing is maybe looking at how players play the game and when they're trying to get around things or kind of uh, use these exploits, maybe think about why they're doing it and then think about how can we incorporate this in a game in a in a, in a a way that um, Mojang are okay with, you know. So if you want to deal with like uh, loading a remote chunk rather than having a command to do it, let's, let's build in a way to allow players to do it if they want to, if they get to that level. <clears throat> So it's it's interesting you bring up the dragon egg bedrock breaking thing because it's as you said it's not an intended mechanic and in a way that is the kind of thing that you might consider emergent gameplay what you were talking about mm. before but yeah. if that's technically say say you said that breaking bedrock is difficult and but should be possible whereas I feel like from Mojang's perspective bedrock is 
supposed to be impossible to break. Mm. And it, it's it's interesting that they have to kind of play to players on both sides of this. They, they're, they're setting hard and fast rules for the world whilst also trying to appease technical players which say that, oh, those rules can be broken. It's it's weird. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here just because mm. yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel like it, it feeds into the conversation. But so many of these things are, technically speaking, faults with the game in that they are bugs. And obviously mm. there are exploits out there that like can lead to very interesting things happening within the game but it doesn't necessarily mean that they should happen within the game if the game was working correctly. It's one of those things where it's you're sort of encouraged to see this as the game working incorrectly, therefore something needs to change. Do you feel like that's a mentality that maybe needs to change within the development team? Because it, it may be that if they gave us some kind of canonical way, some kind of official way of breaking Bedrock, then that, in a sense, removes the challenge of having players work mm. out through that sort of emergent gameplay thing how to break it again so don't you feel yeah, like adding a canon way to do that sort of removes the challenge for technical players i think it does but at the same time i think like a lot of this stuff is kind of inconsistent like on mo yang's part like for example if you don't like one of the reasons people like to break bedrock is to get on top of the bedrock ceiling uh, the nether ceiling to build like a gold farm for example mm -hmm. now if mo yang wanted us to stop if mo yang wanted to stop us getting on top of the ceiling they could easily do that by just changing the build height limit in the nether yeah right? it doesn't yeah if they just change that number from 255 to 128 or whatever it is then that would be that but that 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 build limit is still the same and if you do go above the ceiling there are mushrooms growing so it kind of feels like they're teasing this in a way where there is this place here and the game works properly there and there are ways to get there but we're not going to sanction any of it it's kind of a, you know it's a little bit inconsistent so i just feel like they just need to make a decision right sure yeah, like, are you allowed to get on on top of the ceiling? And if you are, let's just build a way for players to do it if they want to. Because I feel like uh, the game is so deep, and so many people that play it, and lots of people play it in different ways. It should be should be able for different players to play in different ways. Like if if you don't want to go above this, if you don't want to break bedrock, then no problem. If you want to break just one block, then maybe there's you know a slightly there's a, a way to do it that's you know a bit tricky, but you can do it. If you want to break you know a one thousand by one thousand region of bedrock. That's pretty tough, but still possible. Yeah, you know, sure. But I, then that 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 so that kind of feeds into getting uh, getting the game, making the game interesting for lots of different players and and how they want to play. I can kind of see the argument that the bedrock is more like an obstacle to doing something cool after that. So it's not like the cool thing you're doing is breaking the bedrock. The cool thing you're doing is building a giant gold farm on top of the Nether, right? So mm. yeah, it kind of encourages players to think outside of the box, quite literally. And yeah, maybe removing their way of thinking outside the box in the first place can feel a little bit limiting, a little bit claustrophobic. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's easy to see the uh, the the thinking there. Well, another thing that came up a long time ago was the removal of piston quasi connectivity, which was something that basically was a bug, got fixed, and then they effectively added it back in, right? Because mm -hmm. the technical community wasn't happy about that. Do you, do you remember much right. about that? That you can kind of you know, give people a background on if they aren't familiar? Yeah, I mean, that it basically happened how, how, how you said, but I think there was so many uh, contraptions and that, that mechanic was so useful in the game that, that I think Mo Yang realised that actually that should be um, a feature that that, that, um, that that they should keep in the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's I mean, that, that's, I mean, I'm not, when I, when I, I'm not really a, like, in-depth technical player like some of the Sidecraft guys are, you know, I'm kind of more mid-level, mid I guess, but, uh, 
Um, I think one of the things I did want to mention though is like why is all this stuff important like for everyone else because obviously I can I can imagine um, people thinking well these technical players you know that doesn't affect me you know I, you know, I don't <laughs> play the game like that yeah so why should I care well I think we all should care and and here is why let me give you my pitch go for <laughs> it yeah. so I kind of I kind of see this as an, as an analogy to, to Formula One racing cars right so that so Formula One is like the pinnacle of motor racing they are the fastest cars the best cars um, the best technology, right? Now, not everyone, you know, Joe, you know, Joe, 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 Joe Public out on the street, you don't drive around in a Formula One car, right? But there is this thing called the trickle down effect, and that is where um, technologies are developed as part of Formula One to make those cars as best as they can be. And then what happens is over time, those things trickle down into everyday cars. Um, we get things. I've made a little bit of a list here. Uh, you get things like the aerodynamics. We get things like disc brakes. Even rear rear view mirrors come from Formula One. Um, so those things trickle down, and then they do make things really useful for the everyday user. And uh, that kind of stuff happens in Minecraft as well. You know, you get these people that are really smart, highly technical, that really push the game to its limits, and then they research it and they put an enormous amount of effort into working out how things work. And they share that information with uh, with uh, with the community, and then we get things like iron farms and you know all those kind of contraptions. And you know if those guys didn't spend the time to do that, then you know, a lot of the contraptions and a lot of the farms that we rely on just wouldn't exist. So I think you know we need to keep those guys interested because if there's if the game kind of dumbs down a little bit on that side, and those guys sort of end up sticking on one point twelve, and then use you know and then you know doing everything they can in that in that version. And then they kind of move on and do different things. I think that would be, a, you know, that would be a, a, a sad day for for the rest of us that that really enjoy the game. So, how do you feel like this kind of beef, if if you want to call it a beef, between the devs and technical players can be resolved? How do you think we can resolve the situation in a way that makes everybody happy? Yeah, that's. I guess that's the that's the that's, that's the question, that's, that's the million dollar question right there, huh? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mo, Mo, to be fair to Mo Yang, they've got a hard job because they've got <laughs> you know arguably the biggest game in the world. Oh yes, the biggest player base in the world. They've got to try and develop this game and keep everyone happy, which is very difficult, mm-hmm. you know. But I would just say, yeah, don't ignore the technical players. I think they, you know, they, I think they are people there that are vocal enough. Um, I think Mo, Mo Yang hear what they are saying. So I'd say just don't ignore what they're saying. Think about what they're trying to do, um, and then just yeah, try. Let's not have these kind of missed opportunities where we can bring this game forward, and just 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 kind of just take note of what, what the technical community is saying because it would because I would say personally you'll end up with a, a better game at the end. You know, I mean, at the moment we're getting things like foxes and pandas. You know, they're, they're cute and stuff. You know, I, I don't mind those being added into the game. But once you've found them and you've looked at them for a bit, there's not much gameplay after that. But if you can add some some features that are maybe not necessarily technical, but things that have got more gameplay in them, like recently we've had some good things like, you know, like one example might be the Observer block, for example. That's one block, but that has revolutionized, you know, a whole bunch of things oh, yeah. that happen in the game. I, mm. I personally, so, I credit Observers with making me able to understand Redstone because once that mechanic was added in, I was able to do a lot of stuff that, just because it made logical sense to me, I feel like I really didn't touch Redstone a great deal before the Observer. And then since that, and it's kind of, you know, tur- turned a a single block into like a, a one tick pulse generator, basically. Mm-hmm. I was able to do so much more stuff with that than I was able to do before just because I didn't know how to do that otherwise. So yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Observers are a really great recent addition. 
I think that uh, adding something into the Redstone or technical community would would go a long way. I know I've heard it before online about something like um, slime block half slabs, you know, being able to stick to one thing, but not the other side of the block. Uh, being able to, you know, really change the way that certain contraptions are made. And I think that, like you said, they're focusing on things like pandas and foxes and bamboo. But I think the problem, and I, and I, I don't know this, you know, this statistic, but I would imagine that the general population that plays Minecraft is not the technical, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that they're, yeah. they're a vocal minority and I love them. I I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad. I'm just saying that in terms of Mojang's business of developing the game, the players that they're trying to please for the most part are very loudly asking for pandas and foxes mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just the number of voices. Um, but I think there was there was a little bit of a of a technical thing with the fox last week, didn't it? It's able to harvest berries, which I think is a step in the right direction. I'm not saying that's amazing, mm. but I'm <laughs> saying compared to the panda that sits there and sneezes and has little green boogers coming out of his nose, uh, <laughs> I think while cute, uh, I I appreciate the idea of the fox uh, much more because I think I think to myself, oh cool, I could maybe harvest berries with fox power, which would be kind of kind of interesting if I can mm. fi figure out how to get that to work. It, uh, it's so. I, it's an interesting cross-section of the community that wants the sneezing pandas because, remember, it's kind of like the bone meal being able to be made from composters for the peaceful players who don't want to mm -hmm. fight mobs. Uh, pandas are the only source of slime, really, in a way, because right. yeah, like it, yeah. previously you could you could only get a sticky piston if you went to a jungle temple. <laughs> you know, there isn't really right. any other way to get slime. I don't think you can even trade it with villages or anything. So they mm. are trying to put out fires in all of these different player bases here and there. And mm, I can yeah. understand why at this point the technical community feels neglected because they feel like you know these concessions are being made to other player bases, and they're even looking at changing combat again in future to bring people forward from this kind of you know stick in the mud 1.8 combat crowd it's mm. going to be interesting to see if the technical players are considered in future updates when it comes to their their sort of you know manifesto as for the the kind of things they would like to see in minecraft going forward yeah. it's an well, interesting discussion yeah, so I'll yeah. Just, I'll say just just the key thing from that i think is just just kind of going back to the you know don't remove features that that people yeah. use yeah you know, i mean we've got yeah. a bunch there was a bunch of features there that you know that technical players use and all, all players can use. Um, and I don't think there was any reason to remove those things. You know, I don't think, you know, the community were crying out to say, please stop us being able to break bedrock with dragons. <laughs> I'm just I breaking this anyone... bedrock so easily. Yeah. Why won't you make yeah, this just, harder? Yeah please, yeah, please stop me. So I think there was no reason to remove that. There's no reason to change that, you know. Um, mm. I don't think it was fundamentally broke the game. So it's kind of those kind of things. They're the things that I think are the, the things maybe I should really think about. Before they remove things, you know, there should be a good reason uh, to remove them, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I would second that. Uh, Johnny, I know that you had uh, something that ties into farming and technical stuff uh, for the roundtable. What, what do you have this week? My perspective is a little different, and you'll have to stop me if this gets a little <laughs> bit too old man yells at comments section. But I got beef, fam. I got beef. No, um, this is absolutely... I, I love... Again, I, really? Cool. <laughs> yes, I do, actually. No, I. Um, this is not absolutely not a shot at the technical community in general. Uh it's bring it on Johnny. Or, I'm ready. Or, or, it an, or it's, it's not about specific players. It's not about specific commenters. But I've noticed a trend where, specifically in YouTube comment sections, being a 
more or less a full-time content creator on top of all the other stuff I do, I... Um, I, I build farms for the survival guide now, and I haven't been a technical player really before. I kind of, like like you, Logic, are probably like a few rungs down the ladder from you. I count myself as kind of a mid-level technical player now. I kind of know what I'm doing, and I can create farms without needing to refer to other people's tutorials. I have a basic foundational knowledge of how the mechanics work and stuff. But I'm still trying stuff out, and I'm still kind of learning. And... The technical community loves efficiency, among other things. They like to find the most optimized way of doing something. And this is a very good thing, because like you say, it's led to a great deal of innovation in the community. It's led to things that previously weren't thought possible. And whenever people showcase a new farm, so often you see that it's got higher rates than anything that was previously thought possible and uses new technology. All that stuff is fantastic. But I wonder why particularly people who either watch these technical players or maybe people who count themselves in the technical community but aren't necessarily on the forefront of the innovation, just love the farms and love the efficiency, why they have to be quite so evangelical about efficiency as a concept. Like I was saying, this isn't a pop at the technical creators. It's more the people who say, why didn't you build Il Mango's latest melon farm design or the people who come into a comment section or a Twitch chat and say, oh, I can do this with less redstone and oh, you're doing the redstone wrong. I wonder if the insistence that survival farms have to follow this most efficient design is really a healthy and productive atmosphere, especially for budding technical players. It almost kind of puts me off taking on technical projects if I'm just like I'm I'm yelled at effectively for wanting to make something that isn't the most efficient design possible. And I I don't know what really discussion we can get from this but I I mentioned it on Twitter and somebody on Twitter uh, this is Valesan who I guess uh yeah contributed to this discussion said that they optimize farms if they're doing it in a if 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 a suboptimal way of doing it would cause too much lag and that's the main reason why they consider revising a farm design you figure out the quantity of the resource needed and then produce the least laggy solution to get that amount now that i can kind of understand but it's when you're talking about getting the maximum amount of rates out of an ink farm when i'm already getting five thousand ink per hour out of an ink farm more or less and i don't need any more than that it's kind of strange the insistence that if you're going to farm something farm it right I don't know. Have you, have you guys encountered this attitude in the technical community, and why do you feel that kind of exists? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with you. I agree with you, and I think the, the the kind of the high end high end technical players they use like the number of drops as a benchmark to kind of push them forward because that's 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 the that's what they find interesting in the game. They yeah. want that's that's the challenge. That's the it's more like a problem solving puzzle. Yeah. Or, it's like right, how can I how can I get the maximum out of this particular this particular setup? I kind of I, so I equate them to being like the the speedrun gaming community like finding the fastest time to beating a game. It's like the new world yeah. record of this many drops per hour or whatever. Like yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I can absolutely appreciate that. And yeah. seeing those kind of like technical feats is impressive to me, but yeah, it's it's the insistence that everyone now builds them in their survival world that's a little bit kind of weird to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, me personally, I I I go for fun over over efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so I was lucky enough to to have a have a tour of the Cycross server, and they showed me one of their latest builds, which was an ice farm, and that thing was absolutely amazing. You know, it's like awe inspiring to see this huge thing that they spent months designing and building, and it's absolutely amazing. But I would never build anything like that in my own world. Um, you know, I'm much more, 
I like to see, I like to watch those videos and I find them, you know, inspiring and entertaining to kind of see, you know, the technology behind it and the, the I, can, I can appreciate the engineering that goes into those things. Um, but for me, you know, I'd much rather sort of see those things, get some inspiration, but then do my own, do my own thing. Like for example, I'll give you a silly example. One, one thing I built in my world uh, a while ago now, we are just, as you're speaking about ink farms, I built um, an ink farm that was wither powered. So I did a whole bunch of re- research. I spent quite a long time <laughs> um, trying to work out how to trap a wither and keep it keep it underwater and then allow squids to spawn around it and it would shoot these these squids and I'd get ink but it was super slow but so much fun to sort of uh, build and uh, and talk about afterwards so yeah for me personally I try not to design you try not to use other people's designs but I'd certainly do pay attention to them and look at them to get inspiration and then see how I can sort of twist that and do something more interesting. See, it's funny because that to me is innovation is like, how can I have the wither farm something silly and trivial for the most and, and, and farm it in a slow way. And, and it's like, like you say, it's fun to see technical players pushing the boundaries of what is possible. But for me, mm. that's a different way of pushing the boundaries of what's possible is doing stuff that's fun. And mm. yeah, I, I wonder it's, it's, it feels like backseat gaming when it's in the comments section or the Twitch chat mm-hmm. for me when, when it comes to that yeah. stuff. How, how about you, Joel? Have you had that kind of experience? And if, you, if you've been streaming on Twitch, have people critiqued your redstone? Not personally. I've seen it in other videos, and I've seen a lot of the, the people that I see doing uh, uh, YouTube videos kind of preempt it by saying like, yes, okay, I, okay, before, before you, I know you're typing. I know you're typing right now. Stop. <laughs> Listen to me. Now. Yes, I'm basing this off, you know, Ilmango or Nembom or, you know, uh, somebody, Tango, anybody. Uh, but they are making, they made this giant, you know, 90,000 drop per hour farm. <laughs> the problem that you have is that your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't <laughs> stop to think whether they should. And so I think that that to me is, I mean, what I end up doing, and I think maybe I, I keep these comments at bay because I talk about it, is that I will say the moment i start to do something or build something yes this is a small farm but mm-hmm. there are six of us on the server and only three of us play <laughs> weekly you know <laughs> the other people have kids and jobs and like there's just it's a very small need and we've learned over time we built a great ink farm and Johnny, I think it's probably a third of the size of yours. And it still has, it's way more ink than any of us ever need. So the next time I build an ink farm, there's going to be three water columns. Yeah. Because, because that's all we need, right? If, if it's if it's somewhere where it's loaded all the time and it's just constantly kind of dropping ink, there's like, sweet, I don't need more than a double chest of ink. I don't think the three of us need more than a double chest of ink. Uh, so I, I think the problem is that the context is missing, right? The The idea of like, are you building the farm uh, like what? What is the person building the farm considering? Are they going for max drops? Yes or no. Are they going for aesthetics? Yes or no. You know. Are they going for fun? Yes or no. Or a combination of the above. And that, to me, when I'm building a farm, it's usually like, yes, I could do this redstone in a certain way, but then I'd see the redstone, and maybe I want to hide the redstone. So sure, my, you know, clock is big, or my, you know, I'm using water streams instead of hoppers, because I think hoppers are boring and ugly. I really, I get a kick out of watching items fly around in water streams. I don't know why, <laughs> but I do. Uh, I don't know if it's the most efficient way. I don't care. Uh, and I think that people that come in with with the comments of like well you're doing this wrong or you're or you're you know this isn't the the most efficient that it could be well technically you know you're correct i think that there's a lot of context that has to be considered i think a lot of it too is is less 
I don't want to. I don't want to pigeon like um, focus on like the technical community. I want to say a lot of that's just the internet in general. You <laughs> yeah, know? just uh, just the internet being the internet. Yeah. Now, at the same time, when I'm doing art streams, I don't have anybody coming into into my into my uh, art stream and doing any bat backseat arting like they're not they're not doing backseat drawing where they're telling me oh you drew their nose too big or you know now if i ask for feedback from the chat and say like hey does this look right or wrong then sure uh, but no one seems to, to overstep there whereas for whatever reason in minecraft you're right i i know that with and vi- well maybe video games in general there tends to be a lot of uh, of the backseat backseat gaming going on i i'm wondering if if there's a, a disconnect because of these massive farms and massive technical achievements that are out there and something we mentioned on the show two weeks ago, and that is the lack of mid-size to small-size farms mm-hmm. in, in terms of like when you Google gold farm, your first six hits are 90,000 drops an hour or something crazy or that or something, a version thereof. But you, it's very difficult to find like I need a really small gold farm. Like what? Like what's the most efficient way to make a gold farm where I don't need a lot of it? I don't want to ba- build a giant donut in or out of the Nether. You know, like I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff. Like I had, I had to search for quite a long time to find. Um, back when I built it, this was two years ago. You can find them more more readily now. But the go- the iron golem farm, the iron farm that I have, I didn't want a giant one. Well, I d- I just wanted one single, you know, cell iron farm. That's all I needed. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to find it. Uh, I think part of the the issue is that the smaller farms, like the nano farms, are kind of boring, and they they don't necessarily feel che- they don't feel cheaty, but they're not fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sit there and bone meal wheat and just have wheat shoot at me from the side of the block. Like that to me is not not ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if they're if they're if these kind of uh, comments that you're getting could be balanced if there was more of a spotlight on mid-range farms. What do you think? I, I like that as a solution. Uh, it's it's interesting, though, because of the the kind of arms race that takes place with people trying to design more and more efficient farms, higher and higher drops. I feel like that's the stuff that gets the visibility because of, like we said, it's a technical feat. It's something that you can marvel at because it goes bigger and better and louder than the last thing. And I feel like it's just a matter of getting hits for the the mid-sized farms. I don't know how you advertise yourself as I am a mid-sized farm because it doesn't it doesn't yeah. seem like as bombastic. It's not as eye-catching, and that's the stuff that promotes it in the YouTube algorithm. But we're getting a little bit sort of into the the YouTube side of things a bit too much yeah. here. So well, uh, well, you could maybe maybe focus on I mean less YouTube, but more like just like the appeal to you know players like us that are not super super tactical. Uh, but maybe un- understand redstone to a certain point, saying like easy to build or resource intensive or mid server or a middle size server or medium size server, you know, um, wheat farm or or nether wart farm. Like I mean, one of the things that I I find very amusing, like I, I saw this design, I built this nether wart farm. I've used it twice because it is ginormous <laughs> yeah. and it is a pain in the butt to replant. Whereas the you know four by sixteen little nether wart manual farm that i built in my workshop in the nether i used all the time because it's a cinch to use and it gives me all that i need you know you just have to remember to go buy and 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 do it every so often so i think a lot of it is just that there isn't enough of a player base that is wanting to do mid-sized stuff at the moment 
uh, that that the stuff has kind of been out there. But we can we can kind of move on, I guess, to to uh, to my topic, which yes. is lighter. Take uh, us home, and, Joel. And, Take and, us and home. A little, and a little bit more uh, has a more of a wandering eye, so to speak. And this actually comes from another email. Uh, so thank you very much to Rebel Planet for sparking this idea for me this week. Uh, my topic is what could Moyang do to increase the excitement of exploring the world and entice the player to travel far and wide. And I'll read uh, uh, Red Rebel Planet's email here. Hey guys, firstly, I love the podcast. I've been playing Minecraft for years now, and your podcast really showcases the best aspects of the Minecraft community. Well, thanks very much. That's kind of you to say. Uh, my playstyle in Minecraft is mainly adventuring and exploration. The idea of something new coming to life around every corner and over every horizon ins inspires and excites me, and I often find myself spending hours wandering aimlessly around newly generated worlds. However, the excitement seems to inevitably decrease as I get bored pretty quickly, especially when survival is no longer an issue. I'm afraid Moyang is not giving players like me much to be excited about in the game for a long time. I mean, once you've raided one Woodland Mansion, you've raided them all. Buried Treasure was promising at first, but how many Hearts of the Sea do you really need? Also, these tasks don't seem to provide the reward that's worth the effort. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think Minecraft would be better would benefit from the addition of simple quest systems or rewards uh, for raiding mansions, dungeons, and the like? I think it would give adventuring or uh, adventure-oriented players like me more motivation to get out and explore the world. Again, love the show. Keep making cool stuff. Well, thanks for the email, Rebel Planet, and uh, I think it's a really cool uh, idea in terms of another smaller sort of segment of of the of the player base that is not really getting a lot of attention and it's something that i notice quite a bit so for me i want to say that it's about visual stuff right i don't necessarily need more game mechanics like achievements or or quests or things like that because i i feel like that would be effort placed in an area that it's not necessarily needed but something that I really enjoy is watching um, modded players uh, play on things like Biome Bundle with Open Terrain Generator. And I'm not playing because of the mechanics. I'm playing because those worlds just look so cool compared to the Minecraft world uh, that I'm used to. But it still feels Minecrafty. Like I'm not talking about alien planets or, you know, really weird texture packs. But like vanilla, vanilla blocks just arranged in a way that is really, really interesting. And you never know what's going to be around the corner. So I feel like things like better looking mountains and valleys, a wider variety of structures and ruins that could both push the player to walk farther and see what's around the corner, but not have them be so so intricate that they would then make the player think, well, why would I build anything? I can just go find a castle. You know, find things that would inspire the player, things that you'd be like, hmm, that's a cool ruin uh, or a cool magical looking rune rock uh what could i use it for what was it used for in the past what could i build around it to showcase it that kind of thing i think could go a long way um logic what would do, what do you think would be uh something missing from minecraft that would might uh entice exploration i think i think for me it's obviously because of the type of player i am i'm always looking for the kind of the, the loot that makes that's actually worth going out looking for um yeah i need to agree like things like shipwrecks and desert temples things like that they're things to find but 
the loot inside once you've found one you know you found them all um but i think if there were some more things that more interesting things that we could go out and look for and find that would certainly entice me to sort of fly around the world once i've got my elytra equipped and uh, find those things and that's that's the kind of thing that has pushed me in the past to sort of look around the world and then you find you know inter- interesting structures you know sometimes you come across some interesting uh, terrain generation or you know a weird cave that kind of thing and that kind of spurs you on but it kind of um it starts from that you know i want to go out and find this particular mob or this particular this particular loot i think yeah i think additional mobs would also be a good a good way to do it i know that they're talking about revamping biomes and savannas you know that might get ostriches and, and things like that uh, but I, I, mobs would be another another thing i think that would push me to to go and see if we can't find uh, well, I know when 1.13 came out, one of the first things we went looking for was like polar bears and uh, ice spikes. Not ice spikes. Um, iceberg? What are they called? Frozen, yeah, fro- ocean frozen oceans. Yeah. Yeah, frozen oceans. They're really cool looking. And, and I mean, ours is weirdly right next to the jungle. But <laughs> but uh, but having stuff like that uh, really made us want to branch out a lot more. Coral reefs, same idea. You know, it's just very, very pretty, very different. Still very Minecraft-y. Um, but... but adds a lot of adventure you feel uh much like traveling and like much like when you're uh you know in your home country and then you travel abroad and you're on a plane for 13 hours and when you land you're in a place that looks and feels very different from home and it's exciting and i i think you know as someone that both likes to travel and likes to hike i think that adding those kind of natural world exploration things uh to the game for me would take precedent over a questing system johnny where do you land on on that kind of stuff. I I land on the side of thinking this is all very difficult once people get elytra because once you get elytra you can just yeah. fly to a destination and that's it. And it kind of conflicts with the idea that you have to explore the world when you have players who can just look up where stuff is on a mapping program and then go there. And mm. obviously lately mapping programs have had to catch up with the addition of coral reef biomes and stuff like that which are quite difficult to find without them so yeah you get the search you get the kind of the interest in stuff like that but moyang is also trying to avoid feature creep where everything becomes incredibly bloated because there are so many things out there to find that you don't have a centralized experience anymore there isn't the simplicity of design that they kind of were known for in the in the first place and it gets it gets a little bit difficult when you're trying to add stuff that people have never seen before to keep them interested but there's only a limit to which you can do that and then still have it not be stuff that you've seen before because after you've played the game for six months, I think you've seen everything that that update has to offer, which is why the new updates kind of keep things refreshed. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the only long-term solution to this problem is just to keep updating the game and keep mm-hmm. adding stuff like pandas for people to go out and find. And unfortunately for the people who get bored looking around a world after like a couple of months, the updates aren't coming out frequently enough to resolve that problem. But if that means better quality of updates, especially taking into account all of the other communities that we've spoken about in this episode, it seems like slow and steady and considered is ultimately the approach they'll have to go with. So maybe Mm. adventuring players, realistically speaking, are probably going to have to wait for the forthcoming updates and then maybe just kind of dip in and out of Minecraft whenever there is something new to explore. But aside from that, you mentioned Biome Bundle and OTG. Go out and try that stuff. Like, find the modded stuff that will spark your interest in that way. Go and look around a Biome's a plenty world. And even mods like that are not that resource intensive if you don't combine them with all of the rest of the other mods that people put in these mod packs. Just load up a world with Biome Bundle on its own in vanilla 
and play in that for a while. And it's still Minecraft. It's still got all of the same mechanics and stuff as your average vanilla game does. Just the terrain is tweaked a little bit different. You can even save biome bundle worlds and open them in vanilla Minecraft if you want to. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. The biomes might look a little bit weird, but ultimately it can be the same experience if that's what you want, the exploration. Uh, eventually, once you wander, you're going to have seen everything in the world. So I think it's it, it's it's exploring the ways in which the permutations of the game can can excite you after that point. It's fine, mm. fine biome bundle and stuff like that. Or yeah. adopt a different play style. It, like try try getting into you know technical stuff and building and and build your own fantastic things for other people to look around download some maps <laughs> there are a lot of maps out there that are absolutely fantastic just to explore that's a, that's a really good point too is that rather than generating some random world you know download you know uh, a really cool map or or um apply or um try to get on a public server like say um middle earth lord of the rings uh, I think it was Minecraft Middle Earth is the name. Yeah, of it. yeah. Um, or, or Westeros like, Craft if you're into Game of yeah. Thrones. There are so many yeah. servers like that out there. Oh my gosh! Like I lost three. I shouldn't say lost. I played for three hours uh, <laughs> walking from from Bree to uh, no from Hobbiton to Bree, uh, and it was not boring. It was it was just like I it was familiar yet unfamiliar, and it was a really interesting experience. Uh, I I think too that. Um, what what I will what I would reinforce about the whole biome bundle thing is that there, the the mod packs seem to be really popular and they they change so much uh, much like you were saying there about you know feature creep and and having things be too complicated uh, Johnny I have done that where I've just downloaded biome bundle for one dot twelve I've done a vanilla world and just just taken a walk around I lost. Now that I did lose 90 minutes. I didn't have, I was just mm -hmm. walking. I wanted to see what was around the next tree. And just cause it was so different and interesting and it wasn't anything crazy. It was just a different arrangement of vanilla blocks. And, and I think to, I don't know why I find it such a hard, a hard, uh, hard thing to, to, to believe that, that Moyang can't improve the world generation in terms of its aesthetics. Uh, you know, not to get into the argument of like structures and things, but just, just simply, making it look prettier so that it's you want to walk around more um i think would go would go a long way well we've had three very in-depth discussions and it would be great to hear what some folks in our community think about them so as always our email inbox is open flood it with all of your thoughts about today's discussion topics i think there is so much to sink your teeth into from this episode, but that is probably all we've got time for. Before we wrap up today, Logic, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us. Where can people find you online if they want to see you and all of the stuff that you get up to? Uh, probably the main place to go is my channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash logicalgeekboy. And also I've got a website, logicalgeekboy.com, that's got links to all of my stuff where I am all, all over the place. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely say uh, if people are interested in, uh, in, in, an, in an amazing community and then come and check out my Discord server because we have got the most, the best community going. Uh, I can't speak more highly um, than the people that uh, we've got on our Discord. So uh, yeah, I would highly recommend that as well. I think we feel the same about our Discord. So we're going to have to fight yours one of these days, I reckon. All right. <laughs> no, no, bring it, no problem, yeah. no problem. With those fighting words, I think we're going to bring to a close this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in the stuff we talked about in this episode, and you'd better be because there was a lot of it, you can find links to some of the stuff we talked about at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a 
listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. Speaking of those pledge levels, we actually have a couple of new things added to our Patreon page, including a new tier for those incredibly generous people who have said, how can we give you more money? Uh, we have a content engineer tier that's just been added that gets you a, an audio credit on the episodes that you support. Uh, so giving a verbal shout out to people on the show is something that we've kind of debated back and forth for a little while, and it would be great to start crediting people out loud. Uh, existing patrons already get a credit on our website and in the show notes and stuff as well, so it's just adding to that. Uh, content engineers and all producers are also going to be able to vote on suggested topics for future roundtables, like the ones that we had submitted today. We're actually going to start putting up polls and stuff like that to hear a little bit more feedback from the community about what people would like us to talk about. So that's a kind of exciting change that's coming. When we meet our future uh patreon goal i think after the quarterly patreon hangout or is it before joel i think you set this up so i'm i'm a little uh, hazy at on the, the same time i uh, no, uh, what, what we did was uh we are also going to allow discord miners to vote uh on uh roundtable episodes but that is tied to the quarterly patron hangout right goal. so okay. both of those things happen at the next goal level it's just a bonus thing we just tied in there Fantastic. And I think uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that we are at 63 patrons right now. We are one away from a full stack and we really hoped we would get there by the end of February. So if you would like to be our first stack patron, please uh, do join up at the Spawn Chunks uh, on Patreon. It would be fantastic to have you. But there are other ways of supporting the show much beyond just uh, giving us money every show. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Spawn Chunks, but a personal recommendation to friends, family, and server mates is always the best way to go. You can contact the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you're on one of those platforms, you can leave us a review just like Paulo Disjap. I hope I pronounced your name right. And they said, I love this podcast so much. It is perfect for playing Minecraft solo. Yeah, I have no friends. I'm sure you have friends. Uh, <laughs> or just calling uh, or just chilling after a long day. So thank you very much for the five-star review. That was on the Canadian iTunes store. Uh, we, uh, I, I reluctantly realized that we've missed a few reviews. So we'll be we, uh, going through those over the next few weeks and Good. sharing those with you. I love but to read reviews. Much. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you very much. We had one one of the reviews that I, I can't recall exactly who wrote it, but it was like, hmm, I wonder why this is this isn't at the top of my Minecraft feed when I look for podcasts. That's because we need more reviews. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so please go ahead, no matter what platform you're on, leave us a review and let us know what you think. The RSS feed for the Spawnchunks is at spawnchunks.com, and the patron only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That is the only place where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Pixelriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and I stream three days a week on Twitch when it doesn't drop my frames, and I play a variety of games there, including Minecraft on the weekends. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me, please drop me a line. Commissions are open. If you'd like to listen to other podcasts, I do check out the Citadel Cafe. That is at thecitadelcafe.com and Comics Coast to Coast, also at the.com, uh, where I interview comic creators, illustrators, and animators on the former. And I talk to friends about sci-fi and geeky entertainment on the Citadel Cafe. So it's a lot of fun. You can follow me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all just my name. I am really easy to find online. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's just inefficient.